Now, if you were sitting in the back and you were trying to watch the slideshow earlier, you rem some of you remember that I promised that we would have new screens, <laughs> and that hasn't happened yet. I just hope they're not sitting on a boat in a harbor somewhere, <laughs> but I'm still hopeful in that some of these things will be easier to see in the future, and they're not going to be located in the corner. They're going to be more toward the center, and they're quite a bit larger, so uh, we're looking forward to those days when they get here. So today we're going to talk about what I should know about prayer. Back in 1952, when I was just a young man, a doctoral student at Princeton University asked his visiting professor, Albert Einstein, a, a kind of a simple question. He said, now think about this for a student, what is there left in the world for original dissertation research? As if everything had already been discovered. And then Einstein surprised him with this answer. He said, find out about prayer. Somebody must find out about prayer. Author Philip Yancey wrote, if prayer stands as a place where God and human beings meet, then I must learn about prayer. If prayer stands in the place where God and human humans meet, then I must learn about prayer. It was a 19th century evangelist, D.L. Moody, who said, I'd rather be able to pray than be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. Corey Ten Boom, the Jewish Christian who survived the Holocaust, as well as a concentration camp, asked this question. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? It's really a good question. Does prayer guide your life or is prayer that's something only you use in emergencies? Do you depend on God for leadership in your life or do you only need him when you're in a crisis? When, when, when you can't handle something yourself. So we're going to talk about what I should know about prayer. And to do that, we're going to need to come to the Bible to find out what God has to say. Now, obviously, in one talk today, we're not going to cover everything there is about prayer in the Bible. But I do hope that we can cover some of the basics. So let's get started. And we're going to... Um, I want to encourage you to follow on your outline. Some of you don't even know that there's an outline in your program. Now, this outline has a lot of information in it, and if you, by the end of our time, you could go home with a lot of information because you don't remember everything I say in an hour or two, I know. But if you write some of this down, it's going to be really helpful. So what, what instructions does God give for prayer? First of all, he gives us a daily invitation um, for prayer, a daily invitation. He invites us to come. Um, in Hebrews chapter 4, verses uh, 14 through 16, uh, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Now, this is kind of a, 
difficult subject to talk about a high priest because it's just not in our categories. But a high priest was, was the most important priest in the Old Testament, in Old Testament Israel. And the high priest was a mediator. All priests were mediators, a go-between, between man and God and God and man. They were to represent um, God to people and then to take people and represent them back to God. And the high priest had this unique role in, in Israel's history of going before God in the Holy of Holies in the temple and offering a sacrifice to cover the sin of the nation for one year to, to keep God from judging them. That was instituted by God. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is that Jesus is our great high priest. And that's why we don't have high priests today, because... It's all done. Jesus made a sacrifice that was once for all, for all people. And it was his own life and his own blood. And now he is our go-between, our great high priest. He's our mediator. He makes it possible. And then we come to verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, Next slide. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so the writer is reminding us that the, high, the great high priest Jesus was human, and that's what enabled him to experience life on earth and to know pain, to know emotional pain, to know physical pain, to know about when people hate you, when people betray you. Jesus had experienced all of these things. He understands what we go through. Sometimes we think God is so distant. He knows. He knows you personally. He knows all about what you're going through. And he is our go-between. He represents us to the Father. And then verse 16, here's the invitation um, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go to God for mercy. You know, we don't deserve what God gives us. We don't deserve to have a relationship with God. And God extends his mercy to us. And he provides grace, his favor, not just mercy, which is not getting what we deserve, but Grace is getting what we don't deserve, the blessing of God, the favor of God, and that includes our salvation. Um, and we are invited to come every day. The invitation never wears out. Anytime, any place, we can come before God. Then, next in your outline, he desires that our prayer requests be made in the name of Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is our go-between he is our mediator. He is our Lord and our Savior. He is the one who redeemed us. That is, he paid the price. There was a cost to this relationship with God that we have, and he paid it. We have been redeemed because of that. In John 14, uh, 13 and 14, here's what Jesus taught his disciples. He said, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, sometimes this is misunderstood. 
You know, sometimes we just take praying in the name of Jesus as something we tack, off at the, tack on at the end of a verse. I think I sometimes do that. Sort of let the other people know I'm done, and now they can pray if they want to. That's not what this means. To pray in the name of Jesus. In, the, in Bible times, a name represented the person. The name represented their reputation. This is about Jesus and who he is, and it's about his reputation. And do our prayers reflect that? Do they honor God? Are they consistent with who Jesus is and what his purpose on earth was? His purpose was to do the Father's will. His purpose is to make disciples. His purpose is to advance his kingdom on earth. Do our prayers reflect that? Um, he's about serving others and, and having others be more important than us. And so we're invited to pray in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, I will do it. Does it bring glory to God? Next, he expects his people to pray with a clean heart. We just sometimes forget that. Sometimes we get a little bit of a little sloppy with the way we live. Um, he expects his people to pray with a clean heart, meaning that with unconfessed sin in our lives, it messes up our prayer life. Uh, Psalm 66, 18 says this, if, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Cherishing sin. It's about secret sin. You know, Something that I just embraced and kept for myself, you know, not wanting anybody else to know about it. And, and God says, if you cherish sin in your heart, if you keep that to yourself, the Lord's not going to listen. You don't, you don't play games with God. He knows your heart. And he just wants us to be transparent and honest. And when we mess up, he just wants us to be honest and confess. That's why we have 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Then there's Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and Jesus said this. He said, when, you're stand, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. This is about prayer, and it's about not forgiving other people. And we come to God and we want God to answer, but we harbor unforgiveness towards somebody who's offended us or hurt us along the way. And Jesus always taught we are to forgive. People don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. I never deserved God forgiving me. You don't deserve God forgiving you. And so Jesus wants us to be like him and forgive other people. Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? Is there any secret sin that you're not dealing with before God? It's going to have a huge impact on your prayer life. Also, he longs for us to trust him when we pray. He longs for us to trust him, to, to live by faith, to take God at his word, James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And James, the apostle James, said, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Sounds really easy. 
And I know that it's fairly Norman, normal for humans to doubt on occasion, at times. Okay, is that your lifestyle? Can you trust God? Do you believe what God said about himself? That's an issue of faith. It's about, okay, God said this. What are you going to do with it? Ignore it? Doubt it? Can you embrace it? Can you make it yours and live by faith? You must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea. Sometimes they are excited about God. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes they believe God. Sometimes they don't. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So how do you grow your faith? Thanks for asking. I knew you would. Hebrews cha- or excuse me, Romans chapter 10, verse 17 gives us this. Uh, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is hear- heard through the word of Christ. There's a direct correlation between your exposure to the Word of God and your faith. Direct correlation. One of the reasons why for 21 centuries God has told His church to gather on a regular basis where there'd be preaching and teaching. I don't think it's ever going to go out of style, even no matter what our culture says. It's about communicating the Word of God, being exposed to it. And uh, you can get exposure to the Word of God on your own. You can read the Bible for yourself. You have the opportunity to read it every day if you want to. You're free to do that. And your faith is going to be directly related. God's Word will feed your soul. It will nourish your heart. It will build your confidence in what God has said. It's living and active. It's not just a dusty old book, okay? Um, So next question is, is why should we pray? Good good question. Why should we pray? Well, we should pray because God commands it, and that's a pretty good reason, because God commands it. He tells us to pray. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, just simply says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, Make it a priority in your life. Commit yourself to do it, to pray. And then being watchful and thankful. Sometimes I I know that Christians pray, and sometimes they pray just sort of in a general way, and then they forget to watch. They don't notice when God does things. God, God... gives clues about the work he's going to do. And they don't see it. And sometimes God even answers and they don't see it because they haven't paid attention. They, they, they just know that God didn't do it the way they wanted to. That's what they know. God doesn't answer prayer the way they want him to. But God answers. And um, we need to be watchful and we need to be thankful. Um, and, and being thankful in and of itself is an act of faith. It's an act of worship. It's giving God the credit for what he has done. So, you want to know what God's will is for your life? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 17 and 8, 18, the Apostle Paul says, verse 17, it's pretty simple, 
pray continually. And it's about being aware of the presence of God in your life. We know that you have a lot of things to do in your day, but one thing you can be aware of, you can consciously think about, is the presence of God. And you can just converse with him throughout the day. You don't have to have your mouth going 24 hours a day, but he's there. He's with you. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for your life in Christ Jesus. Give thanks. That's an act of faith. Give thanks. And um, it, it just it reminds us of who God is. It helps us to be humble. It teaches us. Being thankful teaches us to be content with what we have. Why should we pray? Well, we also pray to please God. We pray to please God. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 8. The Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but the prayer of the upright pleases him. God is not interested in answering prayer for hypocrites, who people who aren't living for him. Maybe they're just going through the motions, but God really isn't that important to them, but they want to look good. God is interested in the prayers of those people who take him seriously and who seek to walk with him humbly. The prayer of the upright pleases him. The Apostle Peter put it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12. He says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. See, how you live makes a difference. Has a huge impact on your prayer life. But the face of the Lord against those who do evil. And that's not just unbelievers. Because sometimes Christians don't represent God very well. And they get caught up in living in the flesh. Why should we pray? Well, maybe one of the most practical ones, we pray to receive answers. We pray to receive God's answers. Um, we pray and tell God what's on our hearts, and we ask him for help. We ask him for strength. We ask him for provision of the resources we need. Um, we ask him for leadership and guidance in our lives, and, and then we wait for God to answer Jesus said in John 16, 24, he says, until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So it comes back again to the reputation of Jesus. Are we asking something that's consistent with who Jesus is and why, why he came? Anything in my name, ask and you will receive. Do you believe that's truth? Do you believe that's true? Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I remember one of the brand early times in my Christian life where I experienced this joy. Um, and our family had prayed 
a lot right after I came to faith that was kind of all new to me, and God provided in a lot of different ways. But one of the most amazing ones that just really grabbed my attention was I wanted to go to law school um, after college, and um, God began to take that. It just sort of evaporated. This big dream to go to law school just kind of evaporated. I don't want to do that anymore. And then he replaced it with the desire to study God's word. And, a, you know, a pastor recommended, why don't you go to seminary, Jerry? And I said, why would I want to go there? And I said, I don't want to be a pastor. And he said, to study the Bible. I go, oh. So at his recommendation, I applied to a seminary. And um, I only applied to one. I only wanted to go to one. And I remember getting in the mail. It was a, I still have the letter today that I had been accepted. I was six months old in Christ. I had a kind of a shaky past, but they saw that God was working. And when that, when that happened, it's just like, it's just a letter. It's just an answer. But for me, it was like total direction for my future. I didn't know where, where I was going with it, but I knew I was on the right path. It was, and it was very joyful, very joyful. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, he says, Ask and will be given to you. Ask God and he will answer. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Just keep praying. Just keep knocking. There will be an answer. We wanted a permanent space to worship, didn't we? For 14 years. And some of you were here all 14 years. And we prayed, and it didn't seem very likely the way things were going with our finances and other things, with the economy, different things. We kept praying, we kept trusting God, we kept asking. Um, we ask for a space that we thought would be around 15 to 25,000 square feet. Seemed like a pretty big ask for a church median rented quarters. And uh, we asked for a space that would have room for worship, a permanent place for our worship ministry, a space for 412, our student ministry, space for our bridge kids. We asked for space for offices. God answered, not on our timetable. It was better than we thought. We, we, we prayed for that fifteen to 25,000. The building is 24,400. How close is that? Um, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Sometimes God says yes. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says wait. And we were on a waiting list for God to answer. And he did. Another great passage about prayer is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And this is one of the best known passages in the Bible. It's a great one to experience. Do not be anxious about anything. And that's not easy. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, we keep seeing the theme of thanksgiving over and over and over. 
in prayer, and then present your request to God. So anxiety is, I think, pretty normal for human experience. And, and what uh, the Apostle Paul is telling us is use anxiety as a tip-off. It's the big clue. It's the red light on your dashboard that says, oh, okay, I should pray now. This is a reminder. I, I need to take this issue that's causing me anxiety, and I need to bring it to God by prayer and petition. Take it to God in prayer and be specific. That's the petition. Very specific. What is it? That's why sometimes we miss it, because we're not specific. Now, God's job isn't just to make us happy, but he does want to answer prayer, and he does want to be honored through it. And he wants us to be specific about our needs, about things that cause us anxiety. He says to present your request to God. And then there's this promise in verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, God didn't say, I'm going to fix all of your problems. I'm going to take away all of those bad circumstances. And you know, the, the Bible never once says that um, God doesn't allow good people to suffer. God doesn't, the Bible never says God doesn't allow righteous people to suffer. We, we, we do experience suffering. We, we do live with hardship. We live in a difficult world. But the difference is what God promises is the peace of God. And that's an experience. That's, that's the circumstances on the inside, not the circumstances on the outside. And most of you know, who've been around very long, know that the circumstances on the, in, the inside make all the difference. Um, so... Question, how do we pray with confidence? How do we pray with confidence? The Apostle James tells us uh, the answer here. He says, verse 2, uh, James chapter 4, verse 2, you desire but do not have, so you kill. I don't think he, he literally means that people in the church are out killing other people, but he's talking about this. It's a, a figure of speech. Uh, Jesus taught that if, even if we hate somebody, it's like murder. Um, it's destructive. It wants to destroy another person. Sometimes we try to kill people with our words. Um, you don't have because you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, you really want, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Conflict. Wanting stuff can produce a huge amount of conflict between husband and wife and parents and kids and brothers and sisters about wanting stuff, about wanting more and more of what we have enough already. And he says, you do not have because you do not ask God. Sometimes we just don't take things to God. We just pursue the American dream um, in our own strength. And maybe the American dream isn't God's main goal in life. 
Next slide. And then James says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. And that's a very clear answer. Asking with the wrong motives. And then he says that you may spend it what you get on your pleasures. It's about asking for stuff and then just making it about your kingdom and not God's kingdom. It's not about generosity toward God or generosity uh, toward other people. It's about a self-focus. Um, and then our confidence in prayer grows when we are persistent. Our confidence in prayer grows when we are persistent. Sometimes people try to pray for a little while. I've seen this where, yeah, I need to pray. And so they start praying and then they just stop. They, they quit. They get tired. Didn't, didn't happen. They're, they're onto something else. And, um, or they just pray infrequently or they wait till there's a problem. Jesus told a story to instruct us about being persistent. It's pretty well known. It's Luke chapter 18. Uh, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So that's the message here. Always pray. Don't give up. Always pray. Don't give up. There's not a lot more you can learn about this, but here's what Jesus had to say. He said, a certain town, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. Not a very spiritual guy. And that's not the point. Next slide. Uh, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So she'd been offended or harmed in some way and unjustly treated unjustly. And she, she wants justice. And so she keeps going to the judge. And for some time, he refused. You know, he, she just wasn't an important enough person for the judge to do anything, to take action. But finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, I don't think most people actually think that way, but Jesus wants us to know how that he processed. He said, what's the reason here? Um, because this widow keeps bothering me. She just won't give up. She just keeps pleading. She just nags me to death. I will see that she gets justice so that she won't come back and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Next slide. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? Um, Jesus wants us to compare God with the unjust judge. Now, the unjust judge was smart enough to grant justice because somebody just kept asking and asking and asking. And Jesus is saying, God's not like that. But we can learn a lot from the widow. She just kept pleading for justice. Not for herself, not for so she would have a better life, but she just wanted justice. And um, God answers. I think sometimes people don't persist, or sometimes people don't pray because they don't want to bother God. It's if they're super humble, and 
oh, God probably doesn't think this is important. Well, what does Scripture say? And they either don't know the word or they don't care about what Scripture says. Uh, and our very last point, our confidence in prayer is directly related to our knowledge of God. And I think this is where many Christ followers miss out because they only know bits and pieces about God. Now, for a brand new Christian, that's quite understandable. But if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, I hope you've learned a lot about who God is and what he's done with done for you and what his promises are and what he's like, how he's dealt with people in the past. That's why we have the scriptures. That's, how, that's why we have God's word. Psalm 46, three, 1 through 3 says this, um, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. You believe that? That's what scripture says. God is our refuge. We can go to him. He, he wants us to come to him. He's our strength. He provides us with strength, the strength that we need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things that he wants me to do. He's my source. He is an ever-present help in trouble. Always ever-present. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, look, look what happens next. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Next slide. Though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Even if the world falls apart. God isn't saying the world isn't going to fall apart. Your world may fall apart around you. But God is our refuge He's our ever-present strength. Do you know that? So sometimes we just want God to do it our way. Sometimes we just create him in our own image. What, what do we want God to be like? This is what I want. You know, that's not how God has revealed himself. Um, I think sometimes... You know, people have this idea that the world shouldn't fall apart. If God is who he says he is, if he's all-powerful, if he's all-wise, he wouldn't let this happen. He wouldn't let his children suffer. That's not what Scripture says. There is a day coming when the world will fall apart because God says it's time. Um, Psalm 46.10, our last passage. The psalmist says, be, God speaks, be still and know that I'm God. God wants us to know him personally. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to know who he is, what he is like. You know, there are, there are some difficult things in life. God is love, and sometimes... People would just want to take that. That is like the only thing that's important about God. And they want to leave out everything else that God is just and God is righteous. God is holy and he's going to judge. Sometimes you just want God to be love. And if God is loving, then he would never do this. He would never allow 
this person to suffer or this person to lose their life. There must be something wrong with God. And what does Scripture say? It's so important to understand what Scripture says about who God is and what he is like. Um, I think sometimes people really get disappointed with God just they just don't know him. They just don't understand how Scripture has revealed him. Um, and sometimes we just, we just want to take our ideas and we want to project them onto God about who God is or what he should do or what he should be like. Humans are prone to create God in their own image. I think humans are continually searching to come up with a new improved God. We see that in our culture. You know, what would your God be like if you created him? Um, they want to come up with a different version of God that fits their sexuality or their politics or their social justice or whatever it is. And they want to recreate him. And God says, be still and know that I'm God because I have a plan and I'm working it out. Um, he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That's coming. You can count on it. It's going to be on his terms. He's very gracious. He's merciful. He's loving. He's kind. He's truthful. He is in no way deceptive. We need to know those things. We need to trust him. But we have to spend time finding out who he is. Our God is not like us. He doesn't operate by conventional wisdom or a human version of common sense or opinion polls. Our God wants us to know him and to trust him as he has revealed himself to us. He invites us to come to him boldly. He offers strength and provision for our needs. He offers direction when we trust him. He gives us wisdom when we ask. He always answers. He sometimes says yes. He sometimes says no. And sometimes he says wait. So let's go back. Is prayer your steering wheel or is it your spare tire? Are you depending on God to lead your life on a daily basis? Or you just come to him when things are out of your control? When you can't handle life yourself? Let's stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm reminded that the disciples came to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. And then Jesus proceeded with what we call the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And he gave us a model about praying for God's name to be honored, for his will to be done in our lives, for his reputation to be enhanced. And, and then we, we were given the opportunity to pray for each other about our needs. 
about our daily bread, about our relationships and our need to forgive. God, help us to learn about prayer as you have revealed it and remind us that nowhere in that prayer that Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer is there an I or a me or a my. It's not about me. Thank you, God, for the privilege to pray, pray and thank you that we have a great high priest that Jesus has, has paved the way, made the way, and that um, he sits at the right hand of God and he is our high priest who hears us and who understands. May we each grow in prayer for Jesus' sake. Amen.